Good morning, Knox Church. I hope that everyone is well. And so, as we come into this space of worship this morning, what's important for us would be that we would be coming here with that spirit of, of peace and joy in God's spirit. But let me start this sermon by asking this question. What brings you joy this season? I think that question is very, very important. And by the way, just, just to be clear, I'm not espousing the, the KonMari method of decluttering and the organizing, okay? But that question is very important. But come to think of it, um, we really have to think about decluttering, even our reorganizing our, our own spiritual lives at this time. And so let me recast that question. What is robbing you of joy this season? That question is important because it really speaks about our, our own testimony, our own way of reflecting God's presence in our lives. In fact, it was Peter who said, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says, Always be prepared to give an account of the reason for the hope that is in you. And that thing of being hopeful and joyful in our lives would be, in a way, a manifestation of our accounting of that reason for the hope that is in us. And this sermon this morning, um, I would be reflecting on key insights which have really been influential to this sermon, and that is the writings of uh, Melvin Newlands. And so I would be speaking from that perspective, but as well weaving my own thoughts and reflections of the scriptures in relation to this. And so I would be reflecting on a key research that speaks about the relationship between our own joyful attitude with that of its um, relationship with our own well-being as well. And so there was this research that was conducted by uh, psychiatrists Thomas Holmes and Richard Rehe. Uh, and this research is actually for the purpose of studying the relationship between stressful events that might even cause illnesses in our lives. And so what they developed is what they call as the social readjustment rating scale, or the SRSS, or the Holmes and Rahe stress scale. And so what they did is actually to identify 43 life events, and each of these events is given a value or stress level. And so the value is what we call as the life change unit. And I would just like to be presenting key aspects of this research which has bearing on our sermon this morning. And in this research, it shows two key areas of life changes or stress levels based on those which are experienced by adults and also experienced by the non-adults or, or the youth. And so these are his findings on some of the key areas of this. And so these are the list of some key events. And on the right, you would be able to see the life change unit or the stress level of this. And so I would like to highlight some of this. This research shows that the highest level of stress in our lives would be in terms of the death of a spouse. It's, it's really such an impactful thing, and it really creates such a significant uh, stress in our lives. And the second thing that I would like to emphasize would be divorce. Divorce has a 73-level stress unit, which means that it's really very, very stressful. But what's interesting as well is this, that marriage, marriage has a high level of stress. It really creates stress in our lives. And adding insult to injury is this, that even trouble with your in-laws is really so stressful. It has a 29 uh, stress level. But this is one of the things that the research found out as well. If you would notice on the last and the uh, bottom portion, the change in church activities could even create stress. Now, I, I think this would be one way for our church leaders, the pastoral staff, to think about this. 
uh, in terms of what might be the impact of changes in our church activities on the lives of our congregation. But for the non-adults, it's a different story. And these are some of the key stress levels among the young adults. And if you would notice that getting married is really very, very stressful, which is very, very high, which, uh, which a score of 95. Compare that to the adults where marriage is just 50, but for the young, ad- uh, young adults, it's 95. Another aspect that is so stressful to the young adults would be divorce of parents as well, breaking up with boyfriends or girlfriends as well. But what's important about this research would be its conclusions. It found out that there's really a positive correlation between life events and illnesses, that the more stressed you are, there would be a higher risk of illness in your life. In fact, the research found out that in one year, the moment you would be able to score a stress level of 300 or more, you would be at risk of mental, emotional and physical illness. And so we have to be aware of what are really the key stress factors in our lives because this stress would really affect the way we approach life. And this is not a new finding. In fact, the Bible has been saying all of this for a long time. In, in Proverbs 17, verse 22, it says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. God knew this already, that the more that there would be so many stressful aspects of our lives, it would affect our well-being and it would even affect our own spirituality. And so what can we learn from this? One of the things that we need to learn would be this, that our trust in God, our relationship in God, can make all the difference in how we are able to handle the stresses and all the things that may happen in our lives. Because come to think of it, these are things that we could not really avoid. And as what I've said earlier, this is really in connection with our own testimony. How do people believe in God when we ourselves are not showing that joy that we are in Christ? How could other people believe in God when in fact we are always so sorrowful and we are always thinking of negativities in our lives? You know, you see, we have not been baptized in vinegar we, we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and so that there has to be that joy in our own spirits. And so how do we, as Christians, respond to the changes and stresses in life as our own testimonies? And so I would just be underscoring one of the verses in our text this morning, and that is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I would be using the New American Standard Bible, and it, it gives a little bit of an, a different take to the meaning of that verse. And it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, in in underscoring this verse, in underscoring this text, I will just be highlighting key words that would give a key meaning as to what God wants of us in relation to being joyful in his purpose. And so the first word that I would be underscoring in this text would be the verse and the word know, which is a verb. And it's interesting that when you look at this verb, in the original Greek, the meaning and the word in Greek would be oida. But there are two key Greek words that speak about knowledge or knowing in the scriptures, and that is oida in relation to ginosko. Oida means knowledge that is actually an intimate knowledge, a knowledge that is intuitive, a knowledge that is an of an onward and inward consciousness, while as ginosko would be a knowledge that is based on external factors. 
That means that this knowledge that we have in terms of knowing that all things would work together for good is something that really comes from within and that is, that is not based on external circumstances. And this is one of the things that we need to emphasize about knowing that joy that we could only get from God, that that is sourced from what is inside, that is sourced not from what is external. And let us have some, uh, what I call as uh, grammatical uh, analysis of this text as well, of this verse particularly, in relation to its voice and its tense and its mood. And in terms of this sentence, in terms of this verse, and in terms of this verb, the voice of this verb, no, is actually active in contrast to what is passive. What do you mean by this? When you say that it has an active voice, that means that it is the performance of the action. That means that the, the, the subject is the one performing that action. You yourself knows that. It is a performance of the action. Second, one of the, uh, the second thing that we would like to emphasize would be the tense of this verb. It is a perfect verb in contrast to what is imperfect. And by perfect means that it is already completed in the past. It's not something that's continuous. It's not something that we need to work out. It's something that has already been completed. For we know that all things would work together for good. That means that it has already been completed. We do not need to struggle about that. It is already completed from God's perspective. And in terms of the mood, the mood of this verb is this, that it is indicative in contrast to the fact that it is not in, uh, subjunctive. A subjunctive mood would be a verb that is just an ideal. It just exists in the mind. But this verb, to know, is indicative. That means that it is already a fact. It is something that is already in existence. It is not something that we need to work out. It is not something that we have to search for. And so the verse does not say, we hope that God causes all things to work together for good. We are not just hoping. It's already a statement of fact. The verse doesn't say as well, we want that God causes all things to work together for good. We do not need to want that. It's already there. It's a statement of fact. The verse doesn't say, we guess that God causes all things to work together for good. We do not need to make any guess with regards to that reality, that the truth, that all things would work together for good is already something that is present. And so we have to be aware of the fact that knowing that knowledge, knowing that fact, makes a difference in how we handle the stresses and problems in our lives as Christians. The second word that I would like to emphasize would be the word causes. And this is such an important word. You see, my friends, the verse does not say all things are good because that's, that's not actually the case in this world. So many things in this world are so evil. So many things in this world are just so sinful that we could not say that all things are good. From the time that sin entered the world, we could not say that all things are good. Only God can say that during the time of that creation. But right now, it's, it, the world is just so full of violence, wars, troubles, and conflicts to the point that you could say, where is this goodness of God's creation? All things, we could not say that all things are good. In fact, there are so many things that we need to realize that it seems that we feel that God is not present in this world anymore because of all of this. Of course, the, the verse doesn't say as well, all things work out the way I want them to be good. You see, this goodness is not dependent on your own wanting or your own actions. The verse doesn't say that. The verse says, all things will work out for the good. But one of the things that I would like to emphasize is this. 
that as Christians, we are not free from the troubles and circumstances in life. Bad things and problems will be happening to you. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. In fact, there's a book written by one of my favorite Jewish authors by the name of of Harold Kushner, and he wrote a book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I think when when you shift that into a question, I think that's very, very valid. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because sometimes we assume that when you are with God, you would not be experiencing those bad things in your life anymore, those problems. But the fact is, and the reality is, like all of humanity, we would always be experiencing bad things in our lives. And of course, we need to remember as well that God is a purpose for our problems. He causes all of these things to work for his own good and to work for our own good as well. God has a purpose even for our problems. His purpose, of course, would be for our own good and for the good of the kingdom. And so we realize that from this perspective, even in the midst of circumstances and problems in life, we could still be joyful. And the, th- the, f- the third word that I would like to emphasize would be that word, all. What does that mean, my friends? All things are caused to be turned into good. And what do you mean by all? It, it refers to everything. Lost jobs? Definitely, Yes. When you speak of illnesses, yes. When you speak of financial problems, yes. When you speak of relational problems, yes. All of these things could be used by God in all of these problems. He could turn it into something that's beautiful and something that's really wonderful. And another word that I would like to emphasize in this verse is this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For good. You see, my friends, God even uses sinful things and sinful and results of our sinful acts. Does this mean that we would be continuing in sin? Does it mean that we would just continue to sin? Because anyway, all of these things that would be happening to us would be turned into good. That's not really the case. What's important would be that as we experience sinfulness in our lives, we bring it before God and ask for his forgiveness. And from that perspective then, he could use all of the sinful things in our lives and the results of that into something that's really beautiful. We are not free from the consequences of our own actions. We are not free from the consequences of our own sins. Look at just a few of the examples in the Bible. For David, for example, if you would realize that David, even if in spite of the fact that he was so close to God, he committed such grievous sin, the sin of murder and adultery. Yet at the end of his life, it spoke of the fact that God was the man after God's own heart. What happened then? I mean, how about his sin? Well, the fact is he really suffered from the consequences of his sin. His son died. And one of his sons later on actually rebelled against him and, 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 and died as well. And in his whole life, that rebellion had continued. And that was the consequence of his sin. This does not mean that we would be continue sinning just because of the fact that all things would work together for good. But one of the beautiful things about God is that he could change all of this, all of 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 the things that are bad, all of the things that are problematic, all of the things that are mistakes in our lives, and he could use that for our own good. And you see, the beauty of God is this, that he could take our mistakes and he could turn that into something that is wonderful. And this is our assurance that from this angle and from this perspective, we could then be joyful. 
The beauty of God is this, that he could never and he never waste any circumstance. Everything that happens to you, everything, whether it might be good, whether it might be God, God will use that for his own purpose and for his own glory. And so another verse or another uh, uh, phrase that I would like to underscore in this verse is this, that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Friends, let me just be clear about this, uh, that all things don't work together for good for unbelievers. This text, the verse that we have just read a while ago, speaks not for the unbelievers. This would be for the believers. This would be for those who already have that relationship with God. And only when you are with God can all of these things be changed. And if you are openly rebelling against God, then definitely things would not turn out for good. And if you are continuing in your sin, if you continue in living the life that is not according to God's purpose, then definitely he could not change things around. We really have to come back to him and relate to him and ensure that that relationship would be something that would really be genuine and truthful. Friends, as Christians, we would not be free from struggles. This would be part of the reality of life until the time that God would be calling us. But it is in that relationship with God can he be able to change things around so that we could experience that joy in the midst of all of the circumstances. Just think of the life of Paul. For Paul to say, rejoice in the Lord always, how was that possible for him to say that? When in fact, when you look at the life of Paul, it was really a life of struggle. He experienced shipwreck. He experienced all of persecutions. He experienced even being in prison. And later on, he died for his faith. And come to think of it from a humanly perspective, that was such a, a, a life that is really full of misery. But then in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. My friends, this is your testimony. This is the reflection of the presence of God in your life, that you are joyful, that you could experience that acceleration that God is in you and is working in you. And so I would be concluding the sermon with this poem, which speaks about how we could journey with God during this time. And the, and the title of the poem is entitled uh, Sometimes, and let us reflect on this. And this would be our blessing as we close and conclude this sermon this morning. Sometimes we must be hurt in order to grow. We must fail in order to know. We must lose in order to gain. Some lessons are learned best only through pain. Sometimes our vision clears only after our eyes are washed with tears. Sometimes we have to be broken so we can be tender, sick so we can rest and think better. On things more important than work or fun, trip near death so we can assess how we've run. Sometimes we have to suffer lack so we can know God's provisions, feel another's pain so we can have a sense of mission. So take heart, my friends, if you don't understand today. Instead of grumbling, ask God what he means to say. In order to learn, you must endure and learn to see the bigger picture. In order to grow, you must stand. Look beyond the hurt to God's loving hands that takes what is good and gives what is best. And on this blessed thought rest, 
as your anxious heart with questions wait, God's hand only gives what his loving heart dictates. I pray that that poem would be a blessing for you. And so let us reflect on these key questions as we conclude and as we really think about how we could be joyful in God's presence. I would like you to look back. Look back in the past. Look back in terms of what happened to you in the past and ask yourself this question. What life changed had significantly affected you? What problem, what circumstance, what tragedy happened in your life that significantly affected you even until now? But follow up with this question. In what way did God use it for your own good and for the good of the kingdom? Because we know that all things are caused for the good of the kingdom. Let us reflect on those questions. Amen.